0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Education Unscripted. The Education Unscripted podcast is your gateway channel to unpacking education issues in Nigeria and Africa. This podcast is brought to you by the National Innovation Collaborative for Education, NICE, which is a community of education innovators working to foster learning and collaboration. My name is Laya. And today, we will be exploring the topic, instant messaging as a learning tool with Mr. Johnson Abali. Johnson is a youth advocate and the CEO of Achievers Consortium. And he's also the convener of the Successor Generation Community WhatsApp School, it's popularly called SGC WhatsApp School, which currently has over four thousand secondary school students registered. That is an amazing feat. <laughs> he has a background in English and literature, and he's also an expert in talent profiling, human resource development, and he is a cost skills facilitator. Um, from what I've come to find out about Johnson, I've seen that he's someone who's very passionate about adding value to the lives of young people and helping them expand their visions in their in their everyday life. So um, we're very we're very honored to have you here, Johnson. Please say hi to our listeners.
1: Hello, everybody. I'm happy to be a part of this. Thank you for asking me to be on it. Um, very Great. pleased.
0: Great. And uh, that
1: was a very generous introduction, by the way.
0: (laughs) Thank you, Johnson. So Johnson, let's, let's get to know you a little bit. Um, we know that you have come from a very humble background and now you are a motivational speaker. You're an educator, you're a youth advocate. You run your own organization. Can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? And how your career and education so far has shaped your interest in education?
1: Uh, well, I'm sure that if you check my profile, I'm not sure that I would naturally um, introduce myself as a motivational speaker. I think oh. I am more like an inspirational speaker, if you like. <laughs> uh, most of what you have said, brother fundamentally true. Um, my background was quite humble. We had um, a pretty rough childhood growing up at and Uh but we survived. Most Nigerians are survivors. And uh, I'm grateful for the opportunities that I have had to live a very diverse life. I have had um, to do all kinds of stuff that I see young people trying to do today at much, much younger age. Um, At some point, I've had to do some after school work just so that I can support the home and also support part of my schooling needs. Uh, You know, I'm I'm talking about all the way from junior high school and it's continued all that throughout, um, you know, my second school days, and I went to university essentially on my own bills, picked up my own bills. A few things, acquired some skills that I sold to my friends at university, and I was, you know, because I have some background in computer, you know, um, engineering and uh, network, appreciation. I was able to provide support for most of my university friends and classmates who had to take a bit of studies as um, a general studies. And then I printed handouts and gave and I to students. Wow. You know, uh, <laughs> even as a student, I would sell handouts. I mean, that would be a first. All right.
0: So,
1: <laughs> and then tutorial classes and all of that, and it, and it was very useful. Most of my, and um, got a pass grade on that particular general studies course. It, it was wonderful. I I have learned how to be uh, self sufficient, how not to depend too much on forces outside of your control, how to look within to look for within you know, strength must come from it, and I have worked like this. And this has deepened my passion for working with young people, because I think that there is something beautiful about need. Well, everybody tries to avoid need, but need is the way, the pathway to power, truly, because until you have a need, you cannot have a healthy appreciation of what you lack. You tend to take, um, you know, uh, for granted most of the things that you have access to because you have never had to need them, all right. But the moment you start to need them, it it, it recasts the whole thing into a whole new spectrum, and then you have a healthy appreciation of things. You tend to see a lot of value in places most people don't, all right. So for me, a lot of things we take for granted come came to me as you know privilege. And that totally changed my worldview. So when working with young kids, I see elements in their upbringing that they are taking for granted. And I feel there's a need to have these young people understand that it's not going to be very rosy all the time and that life is pretty tough, especially for those who have not had the right kind of preparation for it. So that's the reason why I work so much with youth, teenagers, And again, I noticed that young people, the former demography that, unfortunately, have been in a country that have never seen anything work. So that demography of young people, especially those from under 35 down to zero, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: are young people who have never seen a system work before. So they don't have a reference, as it were, for what works or what doesn't. And so as a result, they are trying to make up a reference for their lives based on what is. And that is a very risky, dangerous behavior. So what I try to do is try to shift, you know, the social vision of what's possible. By having conversations and meeting and engagement, That's the reason we started the Achievers Consortium, all right, uh, as an undergraduate program back in 2002 in the University of Benin. And that's the reason why later on, a few years after, we started the successor Generation community. All right? And the SGC was instrumental. It helped us to reach out to young people, especially those who are caught in what we call the gap years. I mean, out of high school, not in university, and there are not enough spaces in university to resolve all of these young people that are pouring out on the secondary school system. And so we have hundreds, no, millions of young people who are falling through the cracks in the educational system because they are not in high school, no and the university, and so they are lost in the cracks within the system. So it's a passion for me to capture young people in the gap years because it is in those gap years that we see that a lot of young people begin to pick on habits and character traits and, you know, new views that set them on a the path of self-destruction. And that is where the problem is. It's in this context that many times you see young people experiment with sex, experiment with uh, gangs, experiment with courts, experiment with drugs, experiment with all kinds of things because there is no structure for gap years. All right, we have structure for high school, structure for university. There is no social, religious structures for gap years. No structure whatsoever.
0: Johnson you have lived quite a life it has a key and um what it says to me is how much of a survivor you have been and how you have really you know been through certain things that a lot of us take for granted on so many levels and um so this, this is the question of COVID-19 and how it has completely disrupted education everybody has to be a survivor now you know yes. we have moved from a very comfortable time of knowing exactly what we want to do how we want to do it when we want to do it to these times of complete uncertainty and in nigeria across the world and across the world remote learning interventions have been deployed to fill a lot of the learning gaps that are emerging from radio lessons to tv lessons video conferencing apps you know even something similar to the Zoom we're using now, a lot of people organize classes on Zoom and even instant messaging apps like WhatsApp. And of course, okay. you are the convener of popular SGC WhatsApp school, okay. which has over 4,000 students. Again, I think that's impressive. So, how did the idea of a WhatsApp school come about? And why did you decide to go with WhatsApp?
1: Uh, thank you very much. Um, well, the truth about COVID-19 is that it has not only disrupted education. It has also started a conversation around the possibility of, edu- of traditional education being unbundled, or if you like, rebundled so that uh, knowledge eventually becomes democratized in a way that more and more people now have access to learning. And then they are now living in ways that we didn't even think were possible. So when school got shut down, we just knew that we had a responsibility to ensure that as many young people as possible need to keep learning because right now we are on a race against the rest of the world and catching up with the fourth revolution. And kids being out of school for such a period of time was not enough for us. So we launched the Successor Generation Community Bachelor learning Program which you also know as WhatsApp school. All right, now, the idea or the choice for WhatsApp was uh, pretty much clear for everybody because the truth of the matter is that, you know, according to uh, a global state of digital in 2019 report, and that's a certain kind of report, it tells you that at least 85% of uh, the Nigerian social media users are on WhatsApp. And um, the total figure for the Nigerian social media is about 2.5 million, sorry, 24 million of them. 24 million people on social media in Nigeria and over 85% of those, or that number, are on WhatsApp. So we knew that WhatsApp was already a population center. So there was no need to create a new one. So what we needed to do was ensure that we use WhatsApp as a gathering point, all right? Got all of these young people on WhatsApp, especially because we had to interact with them through their parents. You know, because most of these kids are still minors. so their decisions we need them to make, they cannot legally make on their own. They will need parental consent and all of that. So we ensured that their parents signed them up, got involved in the WhatsApp school and all of that. All right, and what now happened was uh, WhatsApp became the engagement ground, but not the battle classroom. So what we did with WhatsApp was to organize the program plan, give instructions, almost something like if you like to call it um, a a general assembly ground where we all got together to engage and share because that's essentially what WhatsApp was built for. Instant messaging where you can engage, have, you know, uh, uh, meetings with friends and loved ones. So that's what we did with WhatsApp. But the actual learning The actual learning took place in another app, which serve as a virtual classroom, the Edmodo app, all right? So everybody on the program has to download the Edmodo app. Edmodo app is furnished with all the learning tools required to run a digital learning classroom, all right? It's it's replaced with polls, with quizzes, with assessment options. Uh, It allows teachers to add voice, to add video. Students can interact and learn. You can submit assignments, you can set assignments, you can schedule classes and schedule assignments. It's such an incredible learning tool. And then we decided we we're going to have to use that to you know, augment the WhatsApp. So we get to the WhatsApp and then we go over to Edmodo to have the actual classes. And then we have over 70 volunteer tutors. Now all these tutors came together, going to start picking up their own bills and paying for their own data passionate, incredible people who got on board because they wanted to do this. So in the evening, what we did, because we thought that the only way learning can really happen virtually is not to just have some place where the kids go to learn academically. They need to have some level of interaction. So the interaction and learning community life was necessary. So transforming the online learning into a learning community became a critical part of its success. All right. So, in the evenings, the kids got back to WhatsApp. And what we did in the evenings was every evening was dedicated to something we call the critical thinking and problem solving session. All right. So where we pick uh, principles and elements and theories and the academic work that they have done. And then we design problems around them. And they got to think, they got to extrapolate data, they got to interpret and they got to, you know, assess evidence, they gotta consider different perspectives, try to work in non-routine ways. You know, this was very new for these kids. They don't do critical thinking and problem solving typically, at least not in an organized fashion, the way that we have produced that. And so for a lot of them it was new form activity. All right. And we did that every single day within weekday, you know, for 13 weeks. And it was massive form. So the kids now began to see how what they are learning in class can actually be applied to solve real problems. Because we did a lot of think and link challenges, you know, the think and link model of Albert Einstein, how you can link things that seem unrelated, and then you've got kids to be able to find all the important linkages in places you never thought were possible. The idea of an activity is to ensure that children are able to see patterns where everybody else is chaos. It is a critical element in learning. It also fostered a lot of reflection because if education does not include reflection, we are not learning. The real learning outcome is tied to the change happening in the life of the learner, in how he sees the world and the way he makes decisions and how his character is shifting, all right, to embrace higher more standards. And that can only happen when the child is allowed to reflect and some of the things is learning, and so that totally changed the SDC learning program entirely. It was not just academically driven; it was a complete learning, three hundred and sixty degree learning experience for the children. So they were learning academically, they were going intellectually, they were building wholesome community life, they were building, they were even doing projects. You know, so it was it it, it was structured that way so that you know the kids would have an incredible time. And I, I, thought, I thought that was really useful for us uh, going forward. So those are some of the things we did and that's why we used the WhatsApp. And uh, we, we had to stop at 4,000 because more and more people wanted to come in. But you know, the thing training is that you must have a step point and an end point. So we couldn't just continue to admit new students because they've been dragging us back. Besides, we knew that there were lots of schools who got on the program to learn how this was done. You know, and we were happy many school owners reached out on the back end, reached out to us on the back end because they wanted to uh, understand what we were doing, especially the way that we were combining the WhatsApp uh, platform with Edmodo or with Google Classrooms, all right? And and that was wonderful. A lot of them picked up some of the tools and in a very short time, many schools began to run their own online platform using the models that we have put out there. And, and that was beautiful. So we now saw, at some point, that some of the students began to move back to school platforms, which was a good thing for us, Otherwise, All right. So, uh, that was high and it's, it's been incredible time learning from all the children. Thank you, Laya.
0: So thank you, Johnson. So what you're trying to, what you, what you have just described is um, the way you have described how children are able to apply what they're learning in their everyday life it's 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 something very very impressive and interesting because you are using the whatsapp platform the online edmodo platform and google classrooms to create a 360 complete learning experience for the children and what i am very curious to know is is how exactly do you ensure that every child is actively engaged because when you have a population of 4,000, then it becomes a fit to handle one of those children to ensure that every child is actively learning and engaging with the content that you're putting out so i would like to know how you ensure that and how you assess the children to ensure that they're actually learning
1: all right uh, thank you that that's a very important uh, question because uh, assessment learning was uh, a critical part of the uh, that, uh uh, first of all, let me quickly say that the the pedagogical paradigm that we use is what we call uh, formative learning rather than summative learning. Uh, okay, let me explain what that is. Uh, summative learning is where you just teach and hope that they are learning and then at the end of the term you administer has to measure that. That's summative. Uh, formative is reverse where you are ensuring on the daily basis putting out small, small activities to test comprehension, to be sure that children are picking uh, the tools and the skills. All right, so that you don't have to wait to the end of the term to measure that. You can measure that as the learning goes on. So we did, we try to do as much learning as we could. First of all, we, we we ran some small workshops with the tutors who were on board. And uh, uh, 90% of the tutors are volunteered on the program are professional teachers. All right, so they were not just learning this. This is something they do for a living. All right, and that was problem solved. Okay, so what we now have to do with these teachers was to ensure that they learn how to deploy, you know, the online program and how to ensure children are learning. Now, every child starts in the mother has a badge. All right, now, when the teacher gives an assignment, There is a place where all children submit assignments, and OnMoto automatically organizes a student engagement, all right, into a progress report for every single child. Now, before this, every child, everybody on the program had had to fill a Google form that we created so that we can have a database for everybody who is on the program. All right. So on one hand, we have a database with all the information for the school and all of that, department, class. That's on one level. On the other level, we ensure that tutors were giving consistent assignment. And Edmodo is a very smart app. It was organizing all the assignments. So we could tell which children were active and which children were not active. Then on the WhatsApp end, we organized them into groups. Had multiple groups, and every group had a leader and so when we gave and when we gave a group project we mandated the group leaders to ensure that they kept record of everyone who was participating in the project now the reason for that was the idea was we were going to give certificates at the end of all of the program, so we needed to be sure that the people who went away with an exit certificate actually participated not only in the academic classes, but also in the CTPS activity and at the group project level, all right? So we had different ways of measuring students' involvement. Now, when we noticed that some students are not getting along with the program too well, uh, what we do is that we set assessments. We did assessments on the program. Now, Edmodo has a very robust tool for assessment. And the back end of the Edmodo Assessment robust tool is incredible. It will give you all the analytics down to every single child. So you have, and because we broke them to classes, everybody were not come to the same model room. All right. You have, we have the junior class for jss 3. In SS1, the SS1 science class was different. SS1 arts class is different. SS1 commercial class is different ss the same thing. So we spread them like that so that everybody's not in the same place. And then we had over 24 admins. Our administrative uh, uh, leaders were all there, and each one were manning each one of the groups. So they were there to oversee that, uh, you know, students first of all were well-behaved in class. They were not posting unnecessary or non-relevant material on the uh, class walls and lectures were going on. They were to ensure that the tutors were there when they said they would be there and if there's any reason why a tutor will be appearing late, those class admins will keep the classes busy and get you some know, activity until the tutor shows up. All right, so this structure allowed us to know who was in what class, all right? And you know if you have used Edmodo before that if you get into a particular class, Edmodo will publish for you the names of the class of all the members in that class. It's easy for us to tell. So if somebody is not active in, the group you're not doing assignments and all of that i will very quickly tell the back end that this particular child is not right. active now when we gave out the assessment it was easy for everybody i mean the assessment helps us to know how each of the kids were learning and you know we we're able to generate some assessment reports that we sent to all the parents as well
0: thank you very much for letting us know how um you're able to keep an eye on every child the fact that you've been able to organize Um, a robust platform that includes over 70 volunteer teachers and even the administrative department for the WhatsApp groups over 24 admins. That organization prowess is something that a lot of people in Nigeria definitely need to learn. What challenges have you had in putting the WhatsApp group together and um, what success stories can you say that you have um, had in the time that you've been able to really tutor these children, share knowledge with them, help them to grow and expand their knowledge base, in especially during this COVID-19 period. I would like you to share the challenges you've had so far and the success stories that you've had so far.
1: All right, thank you. Um, <clears throat> challenges were quite enormous at the beginning because, you know, um, uh, a lot of students and parents were hearing but as you see, for the first time so they didn't quite know whether this was for real or not or you know so the issue of trust
0: Johnson I can um, hear you please proceed
1: okay so the issue of trust was fundamental it was um, a general challenge which so we had to establish trust so what we did was that we reached out to the Lagos State Ministry of Education uh, we tried to speak with officials in the office of the Honorable Commissioner and uh, told them what we're about to do. And it was endorsed at that level. And I think that the Lagos state ministry quoted the program in stuff, you know, online options that parents could uh, apply. So that that took care of the trust issue at the beginning. So a lot of people now, you know, trusted the platform more, you know, going forward. Then from there, you know, the challenge of having to onboard tutors, you know this is very difficult times and if you're asking somebody to give a professional service voluntarily at no course but you know I, I, we, we had to dig deep to call in favors from uh, many of the platforms that we have managed in the past trainings that we have done in the past and then we we're able to sell the message so compellingly and a lot of just incredible thing, jared they just stood up and said you know what we're going to get this done all right, so that was another challenge we were able to overcome and then we got all these uh, tutors they've been there now for 14 weeks and they are supporting the program and doing the best that they can in very excited ways all right and um we also have the challenge of students regularly missing classes because you know uh, of socioeconomic issues uh some of them will have to share guidance with their parents because these are young children not all of them have phones and so they have to work with their parents phones all right so so it means that the parents will have to give up the privacy of their phone for the period that the lesson is going to take place morning and evenings and that was a little bit challenging especially for parents who also have to be on zoom meetings or keep up with what's happening at the work all right so that was a challenge uh, some parents went ahead to buy phones for their kids but you know, not all of them could afford those. And then the challenge of data, a lot of children, because sometimes the the, uh, the lesson will include a lot of video lessons or your clips that you have to watch that explain certain concepts. So downloading some of these materials on and on still, the cost of data for many of our learners was enormous. And uh, all we could do basically was speak with parents, encourage them to continue to support the children, because we didn't have any partners of any kind that could guarantee that, you know, we had free data coming in. All right. I tried to work with a few partnerships, but um, at the time we started, it was a very difficult terrain to navigate because everybody was still pretty confused. Um, nobody knew exactly where. <laughs> the one thing now we also had a challenge of intruders because as this program started out successfully uh other interests began to come into it so we had people post in all kinds of you know other invitations on our platform and the problem is kids are likely to respond because coming on our platform is a platform they now trust and so we had the issue of having to deal with some of these people and block them out and try to protect the children because uh, we subscribe very strongly to child protection law, not only of Lagos State, but also of the Federation. And we knew that there are certain gates where children cannot be involved with without parental consent. So we, we had to work very closely with parents to ensure that we were resisting all these intruders and we finally got rid of all of them. All right, so these are some of the challenges that we had. Uh, on our own end and the back end, um, we, we have to keep payroll going for all the period that is <laughs> because quite a number of people are the back end and do all they could. You know, we, we have an, an entire as, uh, assessment stroke examination board. People had to read all the questions and vet the questions for correct answers and all of that before we uploaded them for the children to sit for the assessments and all of that. So it was a very busy back end and we had to keep all of that going. You had running generator the entire day, you know, and they heavy better usage and so on and so forth. And all these other things that you had to do, even acquiring new equipment, to ensure that everybody had the tools that they needed to keep the schools running, all right? And all of these are very low budget. So these were some of the challenges we had to confront. To ask for success story, program itself is a huge success. We, <clears throat> at the end of uh, our last assessment, we generally have a, an average of 65% general pass across all the classes, especially in mathematics and English. And that was very, very hard But we went on to do a particular a specialized mock exam for only the SS3 students. We had almost 2,000 SS3 students coming in for the mock exam because we have to organize them into Telegram, right? It's a special class Telegram where we had a one and a half weeks of intensive revision and then they did the mock, all right? and that was awesome. Yes, please. Uh, so what happened is uh, we, we had a lot of successes. Uh, uh, first of all, we got uh, Counting B. Uh, uh, Counting B is a global uh, competition, or should I say US-based competition for now. Uh, Counting B was founded uh, recently and the founder of Counting Bee you know, wanted to bring these across Africa and so one of the country directors approached us and then we organized the first ever Counting Bee competition in Nigeria, online competition in Nigeria, first ever online competition in Counting Bee. so we partnered with them, we gave them a platform to use the SEC WhatsApp school to, uh, to get that done all right and it was and it was incredible so we got uh we 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 got all of our students to participate in the content b entirely and uh, some of the winners of the preliminary competition were able to have a conversation with the uh, originators of content b through what i mean zoom poll in the united states and that was pretty huge for us all right um so the students felt really rewarded uh, the competition ended last weekend. Um, the, the final, the grand final uh, finalists and the winners will be announced um, this weekend. All right. Uh, June 12th, what we have done is selected the, very, uh, the, the brightest of all these young people involved in our program and uh, we organized them into what we call the SDC Elite Martin Programme. All right, so 200 of them were identified. Those who have scored excellent in all the assessments, who have performed well in the CTPL sessions, and who partook in all the group projects. All right, we had an induction stroke inauguration program via YouTube and uh, WhatsApp, I mean, and Zoom. And uh, we had, we were privileged to have um, the Honorable Commissioner of Education, Mrs. Adepi Sanyo, who came in to of off the meeting and induct those students into our program and it was very huge, all right? Uh, that program was viewed from across the world because parents of kids who were in the program who are in different parts of the world were able to connect to see the program. You can uh, always check it out on YouTube, it's still there. So uh, those are some of the success stories that have come out. The fact that we have successfully empowered these young people who now are preparing to get back to the traditional face-to-face classrooms, Uh, we believe that we have expanded the vision of what's possible for them educationally and that they are now in a position to push the frontiers of knowledge. Uh, I am only now worried for the teachers and educators they are going to meet in school. I just hope that they are able to now cope with these children because the horizon has been stretched. They now are elegant, competent users of digital learning tools. And I hope that schools are able to incorporate some form of blended learning to be able to retain uh, some of the wins and gains uh, from this program that we have achieved. Thank you very much, Lai.
0: Thank you, Johnson. Um, speaking of expanding the vision, um, to you know really create impressive um, learning tools like you have said like children have literally learning machines how are you thinking around sustainability how are you thinking around um, what is possible for a post COVID period where you might want to scale your capacity or scale your impact and even how to ensure that a lot of the children who you said um, were not able to even access the platform, how they can still get a chance to be caught up, you know, with some of their peers who have had a chance to be on the platform. How are you thinking around scaling and making it more sustainable?
1: All right, thank you very much. And that's an important question because it speaks to some of the things that we've already started to do right now. only this week we launched the SDC Smart Things Connect. It is a Facebook group, all right? The idea is to sustain the gains from this program because these kids are going back to school and we cannot retain them on this program because schools are resuming, they don't have access to internet or even gadgets to continue any form of online learning. Like I said, we're just hoping the schools will be able to do some blended learning, that we incorporate some of the gains that these children have had during the lockdown period. But beyond that, we are building a robust community of young learners, all right? We're targeting just teenagers, all right? The idea is many of the things that we have done here, we want to be able to scale it so that it's, it's able to reach hundreds of thousands of youth, all right? And so that is the reason why we created that group. And then we are currently pushing the group so that all the young people who have been a part of our program can continue to engage with us on the Facebook group. Because a lot of these kids are already on Facebook doing all sorts of things. So we can as well create a compelling content for them while they're there, you know? So what we are trying to do right now is to ensure that these kids have access to continued learning, engagement, network, and this is the idea. If we can get 50000 smart teenagers across the country continuing to engage ideas around academic challenge, continue to push the uh, frontiers of learning, share backgrounds from their various schools, difficult problems, do joint projects, joint revision, it takes their learning beyond their, beyond the scope of their schools. So what now happened is that what they now know is no longer restricted to some of the things that they do in school. They have access to blog, to a broader community of learning where they can learn new ideas, where ideas can combine and combust in new exciting ways. That's one. Number two, you plan to do very, very, vast critical thinking and problem solving programs on that platform. Because we know the schools don't offer this program, which is the backbone of 21st century education right now. But unfortunately, many schools are not set up, as it were, to, you know, to cascade these to the children because it is not embedded into the curriculum as were. Well. So what we want to start to do is to unbundle that kind of learning and ensure that kids who are on this platform are doing multiple critical thinking and problem solving projects as they engage, as they learn, so that they can continue to grow, so that the learning outcomes nationally can improve, at least from the two that we are doing, all right? Also, we believe that when we have a school of smart teenagers who are continuing to learn, we could attract sponsorship and support, all kinds of interventions coming from the private sector or wherever, you know, focus on these kids who are learning, and so we can develop all kinds of um, programs that helps us identify people who have different kinds of specializing so that we can have some kind of customized uh, uh, approach to serving those needs. So that's what we're doing now to scale the effort that we started sometime in March. All right. So now that we are winding up bringing this program to a close because schools will resuming soon. We are going. Forward with Facebook groups because it can take in as many as one million users, and we, we think that we will be able to sustain these. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Johnson. It seems like you have a clear plan on, you know, what is next and how it is that you can leverage, you know, technology to ensure that the kids keep learning and suppose that on a final note what I am very curious about now is how you see the future, how do you see the future of innovation, what what do you foresee that uh, might be the needs that innovators have to meet, what advice do you have and schools who in the post pandemic period now have to you know really integrate what the kids have learned so far with what they have to learn going forward. So, how do you see the future of the in it?
1: All right, thank you very much. Uh, this is a conversation that I am very passionate about uh, because, you know, I train policymakers and school leaders, and of course, uh, teachers as well, in some other programs that I do. And I am worried about the lack of preparation that we are put in place to prepare for what is an inevitable future. Traditional education like we know it will be unbundled. It is only a matter of time. It is not if, it is a when. Now it will be unbundled because for, for the simple fact that the huge gaps between the demand and supply for education is enormous, and countries and economies will not be able to sustain their economic exploration if they're not having the right amount of supply of smart, innovative young people into the system. Our system right now can only absorb 150,000 people after after jam into universities, all right? Out of over a million that write these exams annually, you understand? So that tells you that we have a less than 10% retention. Or just about ten percent. Now, that is pretty huge. It will be unbundled, and and schools need to start to learn how to blend technology with brick and mortar face-to-face engagements, because that is where that is where the world is headed right now. Covid has revealed a lacuna in the system that we are not prepared. For the disruption that the future is going to bring, and one of the sectors that will be so deeply disrupted will be education. The way that we learn, the way that you know, even the model of the business model of educational, you know, uh, institutions will have to change. Because right now, there is this competitive enterprise model that people are using just to stay abreast. But the truth of the matter is that this is unbundled and schools will start to look for new ways to generate revenue as kids are beginning to find, you know, a democratized way of having access to unlimited learning options. And these options will be global. So the way that I see this happening, AI is going to play a role. The future of singularity, the future of internet, internet of things, things are connecting in more ways than we can imagine. Let me give an example. If you were a professor, the professors had exclusive knowledge in those days. All right, because to do certain of the projects and write their thesis or whatever things they had to do, they had to travel to other parts of the world so they can have exclusive access to certain specialized libraries. Those libraries require certain paid grade access. Only professors could access the people who are doing their PhD. Today, that access is not there anymore. It has been democratized. And as a student can have access to resources a professor, only a professor could access some 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Now, what that means is that there is a lot of information out there. And so the bragging right is not that you know one thing more than the other. The truth of the matter is that new information is growing at an exponential rate and we cannot even keep up anymore. So the question now becomes how are we learning the tools of having to analyze data and decide what is useful and what is not. These things are going to change how we learn in the future. So if kids are not learning the way that we teach, we have to start to teach the way that they learn, because the truth of the matter is that they're not learning because of our methodology and pedagogy. Our kids are going to be ill-prepared to compete favorable with their counterparts elsewhere in the world, and the ones becoming increasingly globalized. And that's a challenge. So policymakers, educators, school owners, we have to wake up and smell the coffee. The book has moved. What we are experiencing right now is, it's, it's just a trigger moment that will eventually burst the dramatic disruption that will definitely happen in education. So the earlier we are ready to fuse into what's happening, the better for us. The kids have gone ahead and learning. Not everybody can find access to whatever information they need online. It is not up to us to decide how far we want to go with innovation. I'm calling on policymakers, educators, school leaders, people who are stakeholders in this sector to wake up and embrace the new reality. Things are changing. We have to change how we learn. Let's start to incorporate blended learning at all levels right now before it becomes too late. And for children out there, learners. I, I like to challenge young people to go out there and, you know tear down the boundaries, have no respect for limits, go out there and become everything that you can be. Your mind is gigantic. There is nothing that you cannot achieve, absolutely nothing. And here's one thing I think young people should learn. The people who succeed the most in class are usually the people who have failed the most. let me explain that. Uh, You see that guy who, comes person math and chemistry and physics and all of that, he's able to do that because he has had multiple private failures, he has tried those problems again and again and again and he failed and it got back again and he tried and failed and it got, got back again and tried. So when you look at the number of iterations that he has had in getting to that place of perfection that you're not envy and then you compare it to someone who is failing publicly instead of failing privately you now realize that the guy who comes last in class possibly never attempted the problem until it was exam but the guy who came first in class have attempted it a hundred times before the exam showed up even though he failed 99 of those times but he was able to master his problems and put his strong foot forward so that is the thinking in learning all right there are now. You, 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 you don't have to envy somebody's genius. You can still well be a genius, you know? Like um, Emerson would say, uh, genius is 1% talent, 99% aspiration. So let's go out there and do what we can. Don't be afraid to fail early. Make all your mistakes early and do the hard things first. And it's how to stay on top. Thank you very much.
0: Beautiful. Go, go out there and be the best that you can be. Thank you very much, John, for taking time out to join us today. past. Um, thank you, everyone. We have now come to the end of today's episode of Education Unscripted. Thank you for listening. We hope that you had a very nice time with us today. Please send us your feedback by sending a mail to nice at tepcenter.com that is nice at tepcenter.com or you can connect with us on twitter via nice underscore innovate at nice underscore innovate you can also leave us a voice message on our anchor channel and we'll be very pleased to hear from you till next time please stay safe and keep learning bye